This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. A win in the Warren I-4 series to recap. Plenty of highlights from the weekend in Orlando. Softball's big series in Wichita did not go quite as well. Unfortunately, we'll have details of that. Tell you what's coming up this week. Plenty more baseball and softball action on USF Bulls Unlimited with both teams at home. Also at home, men's tennis, which scored a major victory on Sunday. And we'll look for another one on Monday afternoon. You can check it out if you have time to get out to the tennis courts. Bring your sunscreen. The women split a pair over the weekend and have one today at Houston. So both teams moving up the rankings. We'll give you a realistic outlook on their NCAA tournament hopes, but they're doing all they can, both the men and the women, in this extended run that they're on of victories. Women's golf and men's golf both in action. Women actually began an event in Chattanooga yesterday as we are at the end of the regular season for both of those squads. We'll also throw in some track and field which was in Gainesville this weekend. Start off, actually, with that men's tennis win. I thought it was a big one on Sunday. Continuing this amazing mid-to-late-now season surge after the Bulls started off 0-3, they actually got back to 4-4 four and four, but would lose four matches in a row. They went to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and got blanked by a really good Middle Tennessee squad and lost to a conference foe, Memphis 6-1. to Went to New York, lost to Cornell 5-2, to and got shut out by another top 30 team, BCU. So they were playing good teams, but not coming up with the results until they beat Penn State and Liberty. And now they have won six straight and eight of nine. They only lost to yet another ranked team, Texas A&M, which incidentally is now up to 21 in the country. They were 49th when the Bulls played them. In fact, looking at the very current college rankings and get used to the website collegetennisranks.com because it shows exactly where the bubble is. It updates daily instead of weekly like the ITA, and we'll let you know where the Bulls are standing. Right now, they're on the wrong side of the bubble, but with many opportunities to move up. First of all, of their nine losses, six are to teams in the top 35. Right now, the bubble sits at number 46, so these are teams that are going to make the tournament. In other words, it's kind of uncanny because they played Cornell, which is 30, Cal Santa Barbara, which is 32, and by the way, 15-2, and two. VCU, which is 33, and Memphis, which is 35. And funny enough, UTSA is right in the middle of that group. That's a future conference opponent for the Bulls. Today's opponent, Tulane, is also in the top 40. That's why it's huge for the Bulls to win again if they can. SMU, actually, and this happens all the time. In fact, the women are in a situation like this. We'll get to them in a little bit. But Tulane and SMU played Saturday in Tampa so that they could both play the Bulls but also get in a quality match against each other and Tulane beat SMU, but the Mustangs still figured they could come away with what would have been a huge win for them because, again, the cut line right now to get into the NCAA tournament is between teams 46 and 47, and SMU entered the weekend at 50, and they looked like they were going to beat the Bulls. They dominated doubles, winning really with ease on two courts, and the one court where it was even, they had been down 5-2. to two. And, oh, by the way... The number three doubles team included a former Bull, Antonio Muniz Hidalgo, one of three key members of the team that moved on for their graduate season. So there was more than a little bit of side drama on court two because that's where Muniz Hidalgo was playing against his former teammate Alvin Todorica. But overall, the Bulls had to win four of the six singles matches 
And they did, but man, did it come down to the wire. Weird to see a 4-3 to three final, which is as close as it can be in college tennis, where no matches went to a third set. In fact, the first win at singles for the Bulls came courtesy of Alvin Todorica against his former teammate, Antonio Minis Hidalgo, 6-2, 6-1. That was interesting enough because Tony had only played twice above court three this year, and they plugged him in there at number two, and Todorica blasted him. But the Bulls had lost a lopsided affair at number three singles. Actually, the returning AAC Player of the Week, Eric Avelius, lost 6-2, 6-1 to Liam Crawl, who's outstanding. Then their number one player, who's tremendous, Adam Neff, takes care of Davide Tortora, 6-3, 6-2. So it is 3-1 SMU at this time, but the Bulls were about to get a win on court four, which they got again. The top four courts were all lopsided, two in favor of the Bulls, two in favor of SMU. Bruno Oliveira wins 6-1-6-2. The five and six courts were very close. That's where the two Bulls from Australia were playing. Both won first sets. Elijah Cham 6-4 in his, and Thomas Pavlikovich-Smith 6-3. So SMU was trying to force one of these matches into a third set at least. Bulls had to win them both, and they pulled it off. The big one was, well, they were both big, obviously, but at number five singles, Cham was down 5-3, rallied to win 7-5. And then here comes Pavlikovic smith forced to a tiebreaker by Alex Stafford, and you do not want it to go to a third set at that point, and he wins the tiebreaker 8-6. Big, big win for the Bulls. Actually sends the Mustangs, who again lost to Tulane on Saturday in Tampa, below 500, and that's why we bring up the rankings again. You have to be at least 500 to get into the NCAA tournament with an at-large. Of course, if you win your conference tournament, that takes care of everything, and of course, that's sitting on the horizon, but all of these quality teams in the American don't want to have to take it to that point, and right now, the league would only have two teams in the field, Memphis ranked 35, and again, a win against the Bulls already, and Tulane is at 39, and that's who the Bulls play today. That's why it's so important, because if the Bulls can get that win, they will launch themselves right next to that bubble. They still have two more matches left against teams that are in the top 60, and winning those would be big, but winning today's would be enormous. The Bulls now rank 53rd against 39th-ranked Tulane. Doubles play begins at 130. Now, on to what happened over the weekend in Orlando. The Bulls went to UCF looking for a win of the series. They had never taken a series from UCF on the road. In fact, we figured Friday would be the gravy game. It turned out to be Sunday because the Knights have been winning every game on Friday and then turning around and losing on Saturday and Sunday. Their pitcher, Rudy Gomez, who's been the only staple in their rotation and came in undefeated and pitched very well, but gave up a couple of runs while the Bulls did not. Yes, they shut out UCF thanks to a career performance from one Ethan Boogie Brown. And base is stolen, and the count is full, three and two, so two in scoring position. Count is full. Fastball swung on a missed strike three. Brown earlier in the game was going with the curve for his putaway pitch, but he's been going with that 90-mile-an-hour heater to get out of spots than he just did right there, the biggest spot he's gotten out of tonight with K number seven. Nothing, nothing going to the sixth. Brown free and easy right now. But you don't want to let it run full here, two and two. Swan a miss, strike three. Fastball and strikeout number 11. Striking out the side. I'd say that was a pretty good seventh inning all the way around. The Bulls take the lead in the top half, and Boogie Brown 
gets to his new career mark in strikeouts in the bottom half. I suppose you want to hear how they took the lead in the top half. Yeah, the Bulls, you knew it was not going to be a high-scoring game. And however you can score, you'll take it, especially against, again, a UCF team, which offensively, by the way, brought an average of above 300 into the series with 49 home runs, and they got nothing against Ethan Brown, who in his previous start had struck out 10, and this one surpassed it with 12. Bulls finally get on the board in the seventh inning. And lines that ball. It's going deep to left field. This has a chance to get into the gap, and off the wall it does. Left fielder Bodecker actually had a play on it, but Daniel Cantu a leadoff double the other way in the top of the seventh, and the Bulls are in business. Eighth double of the season for Cantu. Six of the eight have come in the last four games, so good player, great doubles week. And that ball is definitely going to at least get the first run, and it will be caught in right field, but here comes Daniel Cantu, and Sankovic with a sacrifice fly. He'll take it. And a one nothing lead. More on Cantu's doubles in a second. Don't want to leave out what happened in between those two moments. That would be the freshman who has not left the lineup since entering it about three weeks ago now. That's Rafael Betancourt, a ground out on the very first pitch after Cantu had doubled, purposefully pulling it to the right side of the infield like a pro. Then Boogie Brown, as you heard, easy bottom of the seventh. Top of the eighth. Oh, I mentioned Betancourt. After Nelly Rivera singled to start off the top of the eighth and John Montez up the middle for two runners on, perfect sacrifice bunt for Eric Snow. It was not going in the right direction after that because Drew Brutcher struck out on three pitches, and it's second and third with two away. Well, they intentionally walked Danny Cantu, which you have to do in that spot. Let's see if on 0-2 the freshman can come through. Crowd has not had much to cheer about tonight. Showing some good baseball knowledge, acknowledging the situation here. Big difference between what it looked like this inning was going to be and what UCF hopes to keep it. Out of the stretch for some reason. And that ball is lined through the left side of the infield for a base hit. One run will score. That'll be it. That's because of how hard that ball was hit by the freshman, Rafael Betancourt. It's 2 to nothing. That would be your team batting average leader. Obviously, he's not played enough to quote-unquote qualify, but... Rafael Betancourt, the freshman from Deltona, has done plenty for the Bulls since getting into the starting lineup, toggling between designated hitter and first base. Bulls didn't do much offensively in this game, but did enough. With 12 strikeouts and just one walk for Boogie Brown, he should be the AAC pitcher of the week. Riley Skeen, a five-out save, no hits, three Ks, 27 pitches, he would be needed on Saturday because it was another close game. And again, the Bulls had, and this isn't entrenched history as you would think. The teams never actually played three-game series until 2015, yet the Bulls had never won a three-game series in Orlando. And they needed to take care of that if they could on Saturday. Didn't wait around until the seventh inning in this one to score. Drew so far on the year, not a ton of RBI, 14. But he is batting 500 with runners in scoring position. And now he has one there. How about that? As he drills that ball deep to left field. Going back on it is Bodecker getting to the track. And thank you, Win. It is out of here. Home run, Drew Brutcher. And the Bulls jump ahead two to nothing. Wind aided, sure, but I'm telling you, the Lakeland launcher has had plenty of home runs die at the track this season. And so you will take that, and the Bulls will take the lead. And that was, by the way, after the Bulls had what looked like a call that should have been in their favor 
not go that way. Just to close this one out, we didn't fully explain it right on the broadcast. Basically, John Montez singled. Eric Snow hits a ground ball. UCF sinking 6-4-3, but it looked like the second baseman, Cole Russo, Tampa kid, had his foot off the bag. So there was actually a double review initiated by the Bulls on the play at second, and then the Knights thought Snow might have been out at first. Well, replay to me showed that they were both safe, and it's almost like the umpires went 50-50, and so there was only one runner on instead of two when Brutcher hit the home run. Bulls actually had a chance to tack on. Daniel Cantu doubled after that. More on that in just a little bit. Now, with the wind blowing out, if you'd have told me that Hunter Mink would only strike out one and that he was giving up a lot of deep fly balls, I would have said that's not a good combo. But he only struck out one and gave up a lot of deep fly balls that stayed in the park. It was kind of going that way for UCF. It was a frustrating, we've seen it on our side, offensive situation, including some balls that did stay in the infield. In fact, on the ground for double plays. Bodecker, decent speed at first, and that's hit hard to Montez. This could be two. Over to short for one, double play. That ball was hit on a line but right to Montez, and that's as tailor-made of a 4-6-3 as you're going to get. That could be two. Snow deep in the hole, though. Over to Montez for one. High throw, and Kent two stays on the back. And it's a double play, the second of the night. That was not so conventional, but Romano, not the speediest runner. And the Bulls continue to put up goose eggs against the Knights. Well, the Knights would get on the board, and it got really intense at the end. Did the intensity carry over to Sunday? Kind of. It was very interesting, actually. Here's the pitch, and that one could tie the score. Go foul. Go foul. It's going to be barely foul. We had the perfect angle on that, and it was foul by about two and a half, three feet. It wasn't foul until the last two seconds. That is a bullet dodged in a big way for the USF Bulls. So Nolan Hootie, who is a guy you love to have on your side, a dogged, determined lefty, a great individual, ended up getting a strikeout, and I didn't see it because you don't see everything that comes out of everybody's mouth, but TV cameras not only showed it, ESPN Plus did a great job of uh, slowing down what he had to say. He basically told uh, Lex Bodecker, who um, off to the side uh, talking to Nolan Hootie, uh, he has his own nickname for that player. But anyway, uh, told him where to go and how to get there and might have used some colorful language. Well, turns out after a certain play later on, the colorful language was returned. And fortunately, that play uh, came when the Bulls had added a run, which was necessary. Vespi, who pitched a month ago and didn't get anybody out, is going to see that one get fair down the... Left field line, it takes a horrible hop. It's going to guarantee a double. Yet another double for Daniel Cantu. Danny doubles. Wind or not, the Bulls just looking for one more run here if they can get it in the eighth. And I don't know if that's going to be deep enough. He gets high underneath it. Center fielder Plumley comes up. Do they send Cantu? Shallow, and he goes back to make the catch. Cantu gets a decent jump, and safe. He slides underneath the tag of Sundin. They're going to look at a replay. Immediately. A long replay, but it did show that Cantu, and yes, I coined the new nickname, which must stick, of Danny Doubles. And by the way, he loved it, so I think it's got to stick. But he scored, and it was 3 nothing, which came in handy. Oh, I mentioned the intensity ramping up. It really got going on this swing. 2-1. That ball is not going to be a double play. Deep to center field, has a chance to go, and it's gone. There's the home run you figured might happen at some point. And it's three to two. Tom Jostin belts 
his ninth home run of the season, and we got a ball game. And Jostin, who is a fiery sword, again caught by the ESPN cameras after their first runs of the series, he and his teammates were celebrating, and that wasn't enough. He turned around twice to shout at Nolan Hootie with some very colorful language, actually leading to a warning by the umpires, which I think carried over to Sunday, by the way. We'll get there in just a second. Kirsten right in front of the 10-year-old bat boy. 3-2, to two, and Hootie was through, nobody out in the eighth, and talk about a big performance by a freshman righty. Bulls all leaning up against the railing, hoping to cheer Chandler Dorsey through this bottom of the eighth. Full count again. Swung and a miss, strike three, a curveball that was definitely low in the zone. What a poised pitch, and there's one away. He calmed things down. He got all three batters he faced out. So would it be a calm bottom of the ninth after the Bulls went very quickly in the top half thanks to a double play ball? Uh, the answer is no, as Riley Skeen comes in, gives up a full count single to Andrew Sundin. Then a key out as they had a pinch runner get wiped out at second base on a fielder's choice, and then big strikeout. But in comes Matt Cedarberg, who for Southern Miss last year had no hits and eight at-bats and really hadn't done much this year, but he on a two-strike pitch Goss one to right field, and here comes John Rice Plumley. That's right, the quarterback. And man, did we have a false ending before the real one, and the first road series victory secured for the Bulls at UCF. One more strike again. We've been here before. Skeen takes an extra breath, as do I. Here's the pitch. Swung and a miss, strike three! And are they saying that he tipped the ball? They are. Wow. I didn't see it that way. He definitely swung on it and missed it. And now both benches are giving each other the what? Like the hands out. I did not see the contact there. But what a lifeline for UCF. Just kind of replay hard to tell. Got to look past it. It's still 0-2. Crowd's going crazy. Here's the pitch. Tapper, he's got speed. Slow roll with the Montez. He gets there in time. Underhands at the first, and the game is over. And the Bulls win the series. Then to Sunday, and it's why I mentioned the whole gravy game situation. You're trying to do what basically three of the last four nights opponents did in Orlando, which was lose to a well-pitched Rudy Gomez game on Friday, but win on Saturday and Sunday. Well, the Bulls win on Friday and, of course, Saturday, and this becomes the gravy game, but also a chance to do something never done in the American, which is sweep a road series. It's never happened before, and it looked like it was possibly going to happen. While the Knights were 0 for with runners in scoring position in their first two games, the Bulls were actually just 2 for 12. Uh, in the first inning, they were 3 for 4. Now Rafael Betancourt, the freshman, from the left side against the righty. With two on here in the top of the first for the Bulls. No first inning runs in this series thus far. And Betancourt is going to change that as it goes off the first base and doesn't know where it is. That means Snow is going to score. And the Bulls take the lead. Betancourt rifles that off-speed pitch. Two hits for the Bulls. Snow and Betancourt. Two freshmen. How about that? Betancourt is going. Ball is laced to right field. Justin going back on it. And it's at the bottom of the wall. It's going to play one. They will hold up Betancourt, and the Bulls are ahead two to nothing. Bobby Bozer, meanwhile, leads off and lines that first pitch he sees. It's gonna duck into left field for another RBI hit. Three to nothing, Bulls. Back to back to back, 
RBI singles. Not a bad start, but you figured at some point the Knights would start to get the offense going, and they sure did in this game. They got a three-run homer from Ben McCabe, who can launch the ball. He's got 41 on his career, 11 on his fifth-year senior season. However, the Bulls had a three-spot ready to go back on top in the top of the fifth. Doubles machine of late. And strokes that ball deep to left field. That one is going well back, but slowing down at the track. And he drops the ball! Lance Bodecker can't handle it! They had to hold up the runners. One will score. And I'm going to call that another one for Danny Doubles. But they are going to call that one an error. It goes to the point that it was catchable, and I'm just looking at it. I mean, it hit in the middle of the wall. So to me, it's hard to call a ball that actually hit in the middle of the wall anything but a hit. But again, I don't care. Four to three. E7. Has the Bulls on top. Betancourt lines it. That's a base hit every day of the week. Snow will score. They're waving around Cantu. Throw comes in. It's late. And the Bulls go back up by three. And that is officially where the fun ended for USF because the Knights would score five runs immediately getting to the Bulls' pen. Jack Siebert, yeah, he gave up a three-run homer to UCF's top home run hitter, but only walked one man while striking out five. The Bulls would send six relievers out. They combined walked in four innings because the Knights didn't have to bat in the bottom of the ninth. Eight Knights. And during that stretch of time, nine Knights would score. Austin Grouse came on and hit a man, walked a couple, Gave up five, could not get out of the inning as UCF took the lead. Bulls briefly, and UCF was helping out, kicking some stuff around, not completing plays that could have been double plays, etc. And the Bulls actually had it to nine to eight with second and third and just one out in the seventh. This felt like the Bulls maybe were going to pull off the sweep, but that's when their bullpen really picked it up. Jay Santala struck out both John Montez and Eric Snow to end that threat. And then Kyle Kramer, their closer, in an inning and two-thirds, strikes out four, and the Bulls lose 12-9. to Daniel Cantu did hit a homer. We'll save that highlight for tomorrow's show because, hey, he's definitely going to get weekly honors. He better anyway. Bulls are back at home actually tomorrow to play UNF, and they are in a four-way tie for first. Wichita State, the only team beside the Bulls that had a chance to start off 3-0, and but blew a huge lead at Cincinnati. So four teams, 2-1, and and one of them is not East Carolina. We'll do Around the American tomorrow and let you know all those details. Bulls are 12-17, and 17, but where it matters, and listen, the American Athletic Conference is going to be all about trying to get into that two and three seed spot so you don't have to play East Carolina. We have to assume the Pirates are going to be the regular season champion, and the Bulls, most importantly, are getting the rotation tuned up at the right time. And oh yeah, two freshmen are basically leading the team in batting average. Rafael Betancourt has only played 13 games, but is hitting 347. Then actually it's Daniel Cantu with Eric Snow just dipping below him with the final out of the day. But Cantu hitting 325 with six homers and 26 RBI. That's also not a bad development. Switching to softball and, well, just replace East Carolina with Wichita State. The Shockers have pretty much wrapped up the number one seed because they opened with a series victory at preseason favorite UCF and they just swept the Bulls. Bulls were very competitive in the bookend games with Gabby Norrie pitching. In fact, remember Peyton Dixon, their top pitcher as a freshman, is unavailable due to injury right now. The Bulls held a 3-1 lead at the midway point on Friday. This would have been a major situation, but in the bottom of the fifth inning, Lauren Lucas, a bases-clearing double, gave Wichita the lead. They would add three home runs. That's something they can do. And the Bulls lose that one 8-3. to three. With 
Nori unavailable on Saturday. It was all Shockers, 14 to nothing in five innings in that game. They got their first nine runs without a homer. Then one of the best players in the country, Sidney McKinney, hits a grand slam as part of a 10-run fourth inning that got it to the run rule situation. But on Sunday, it was very close, 3-2. to two. The Bulls were down 3 nothing on three solo homers, but got one of their own by Kathy Garcia. Then in the sixth, Vivian Pond with an RBI double, but she actually got thrown out at third trying to stretch it to three, and that's where the Bulls would see their possible victory come sort of to an end. Wichita State, incidentally, is playing second-ranked Oklahoma State tomorrow night in Wichita. That should be a wild one. The Bulls are back at home against Tulsa starting on Thursday, so we'll have plenty of baseball and softball this weekend for you on USF Bulls Unlimited. And by the way, we will do the conference show again tomorrow. I want to spend some time with the family. I was gone all weekend, so we'll save that work for tomorrow morning and give you the entire conference outlook, baseball and softball, players of the week, that kind of thing. So for our faithful around the American listeners, first of all, thank you for being faithful. And secondly, listen for that tomorrow. We will do Bulls Beat slash Around the American from 9 to noon. I promise on Bulls Beat Tuesday we'll spend a lot of time on women's tennis as a full weekend recap, but their full weekend concludes this afternoon at Houston. So far, not so bad. They moved up nine spots in the rankings thanks to a win against top 50 Rice, but then they lost to FIU, which, by the way, currently sits in the top 40. Now, we told you in the first block how men's tennis with the win today could get right near the bubble. The women, frankly, just don't have the opponents in front of them, and I think there's just too much room between where they're ranked, which is 55th and very, very good, and the bubble, which is in the 42-43 range. We'll talk more about it, as I said, on tomorrow's show. We'll let you know how golf does on Monday, both the men and women in action. Women started in Chattanooga with a 12-over par first round. That was good enough for seventh place out of 18 teams. No one under par the leader. SMU is at even. Melanie Green, Juliana Camargo, and Leo Medeiros all with two-over par rounds. Tied for 18th. Men beginning today in South Carolina at the Wofford Invitational, a field of 17. And again, these are the last events of the regular season. The men actually have two and a half weeks before they host the conference tournament at Bel Air. The women will be hosting at Brooksville April 17th through the 19th. And the women might not have to win the conference tournament to get to the NCAA. The men, on the other hand, are looking like they will have to win it. And, of course, they've done that recently and plenty of times. So we'll keep an eye on golf closely. He sat out the first track and field meet of the outdoor season after winning the national championship. So how did Romain Beckford do in Gainesville against a big field? He won the high jump. That was on Friday. Bulls continue to put up. School record marks. His jump is second all-time in USF history. A third place in USF history all-time. Turned in by Nia Robinson with her second place finish in the long jump. That was on Friday on Saturday. Again, this is one of the premier events in the country. Those are Eric Jenkins' words, and he's right. The Florida Relays. Top finisher was Johan Jeremiah in the shot put third place. Again, a stacked field, and so... Even though there were no winners, there were a lot of outstanding competitors, and you can check all the details out on GoUSFBulls.com. They will be at home this weekend for a cool event called the Fastest Kid in Tampa. We'll give you more on that as we get closer to the weekend. But that wraps up a large weekend on Bulls Beat on a Monday. Thanks for dropping by. I'm Derek Sharp.